From WUWM, Milwaukee's NPR, this is Capital Notes, a podcast about Wisconsin politics and politicians. I'm Marty Michelson. Each week, I discuss noteworthy developments with J.R. Ross, editor of WISPolitics.com. Here's our latest conversation. So, J.R., Governor Walker signed the Republican lame duck bills into law late last week. Measures restrict early voting and weaken the powers of Democratic Governor-elect Tony Evers and Democratic Attorney General-elect Josh Call. Walker had signaled that he would sign the bills but would probably make some line-item vetoes. But on Friday, he signed the bills outright and didn't veto any parts of the package. So how limited are Evers's powers going to be, and why do you think Walker left the legislation completely intact? In delivering the news about his signing, you know, Governor Walker gave an almost line-by-line defense of these bills and how he argued that they didn't really change the powers of uh, Governor-elect Tony Evers, that many of the main ones will be in place, appointing people to cabinets, uh, the partial veto authority, you know, introducing a budget, those kinds of things. So he kind of, you know, and the other thing, too, is don't forget, you know, Governor Walker's administration helped negotiate these bills because Assembly Speaker Robin Voss, Senate Drill Leader Scott Fitzgerald, and people from the Walker team, they were all talking about these bills before they introduced. So he knew what was going into them ahead of time. And the real question was, would he have any issues with how some of the language shook out? And in the end, he didn't. As far as, like, Evers' powers, I mean, like, on the grand scheme of things, he still got the most part, you know, powerful veto pen in the country. He still has a lot of things he can do as governor. What's been added through these bills is a layer of oversight and, in some ways, bureaucracy on how government operates that will give lawmakers either a say or outright a check on what Governor-elect Evers does, as well as Attorney General Josh Call once they take office in January. People on both sides of the aisle appealed to Walker not to sign the bills and to think about his legacy, but he signed the bills anyway. So does that mean he's okay leaving this legacy, and why? Well, I mean, look, Scott Walker was governor for eight years. I mean, there are a lot of things going to his legacy. Act 10, I mean, 10 years from now, if people are going to talk about this, they talk about Act 10 and those changes that were pushed through a Republican-controlled legislature to, to take away collective bargaining powers, public voice. I mean, that really is kind of his signature accomplishment as governor. Um, will they talk about, you know, these things or Foxconn, whether Foxconn succeeds or doesn't? You know, we'll see maybe years from now. I mean, I guess what I'm getting at is that Yes, I've heard talk from people saying that this will tarnish the legacy of Scott Walker, but you have to pull back and look at a big picture of all that he's done in eight years. And, you know, there is plenty of fodder for both those who like Scott Walker and dislike Scott Walker. Another big development last week, Governor Walker reached a deal with Kimberly Clark to keep a plant open in the Fox Valley and save 400 jobs. The agreement is worth $28 million in tax incentives. The governor approved the plan via executive order because the state Senate didn't have enough votes to pass it. Is it unusual for a governor to cut a unilateral deal like this? And why did Walker feel like he had to take care of Kimberly Clark? You know, Walker did not want to allow an iconic company to shut down a plant in the final days of his administration. It's just not something you want to have happen as you walk out the door. So they looked for tools they could use to find something outside the legislation because that bill is not going to get passed. I mean, that bill cleared the assembly in February on party line, a party line vote. Um, when it came to the Senate, there was never an indication that they had enough votes to pass that. Uh, Major Leader Scott Fitzgerald said he had maybe 10 or 11 votes among Republicans. Cooksville Chamber 18 to 15, that would have meant a, a minimum of six Democratic votes, and 
Republicans didn't work to get those Democratic votes. They, they didn't include them in the process. They didn't ask their opinion about the bill. There was basically some calls afterwards saying, hey, can you get on board? Moving on to some other items, Governor-elect Evers kicked off a statewide budget listening tour last week. He and his running mate Mandela Barnes have made stops in Green Bay and Wausau, and they're coming to Milwaukee on Wednesday. What's the impact of these sessions, and will Evers actually craft a budget based on what he hears? He says he's going to. You know, I mean, it, it, honestly, these stops are a chance to get input, to hear what people are saying, and to kind of keep his profile up, you know. He's coming into office um, January 7th, and he wants to continue to be out there in the public eye and and kind of you know get to know people, know that he's listening. Don't forget, too, that he's making this tour. The backdrop of it is Governor Walker signing these lame duck session bills. I mean, Evers was pushing the idea that um, these Republicans are trying to rein in his power. Well, he's going to have a hard time getting things done the next four years, most likely, because he will have a Republican legislature for sure the first two years, and likely at least one House, if not both, the second two years of his first term. So for Evers, you can go out there and say, look, you know, I'm trying to be bipartisan. I'm trying to work with these guys, and look what they did. Look at the bills they passed where he walked in the door. It's a, it's a golden issue for him, and he needs to capitalize on it politically uh, ahead of what could be a very tough slog for four years to get things done. And finally, Tony Evers last week announced that he has put together a council to advise him on criminal justice policy. Some of the members include former state Supreme Court Justices Janine Geske and Louis Butler, along with attorney Dean Strang, who defended convicted murderer Stephen Avery. Evers has said he wants to cut Wisconsin's prison population in half and end solitary confinement. If these recommendations come out of the council, are they dead in the water with the legislature controlled by Republicans? Well, it depends on what he can do with executive power versus what he can do that needs legislative change. I mean, he can pardon anybody. The governor of Wisconsin can pardon anybody in state prison. So that is something that they, unless they try to rein that power in the legislature, that's not going to be an issue. Now, the bigger issue for Evers will be how does he use that authority? You know, I mean, he said he wants to reduce the prison population, but he also want, want to reduce or release, I'm sorry, people who are violent or have violent offenses. So how do you make that determination? So how long is the window to try and cut the prison population? If you want to do it on day one of being in office, and yeah, you've got to release some people who've done some bad things. But if they're trying to look at a longer term, you know, process or something like that, we'll see how that plays out and how that, that authority comes into play for him in trying to reduce the population. That's WISPolitics.com editor J.R. Ross. You can join us each week for our conversations. And if you haven't done so already, subscribe to Capital Notes on iTunes, NPR One, or wherever you get your podcasts.